Hey everyone, this is an interview with Dr. Bora Lim, who is a breast cancer specialist. She's an associate professor of medicine, director of translational research, and associate director for clinical science at her institution. This interview was in support for my video with patient KT, who is Dr. Kate Hendricks Thomas, a USMC veteran who is now suffering from stage four breast cancer, and she was exposed to burn pits when she was deployed in Iraq. Check out that video if you haven't yet. Link is in the show notes. I'm gonna roll the sponsor now so that the rest of the episode is uninterrupted. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Breast cancer is a cancer that happens and originates from the tissue from the breast. So there are two major structures within the breast. One of them is called lobule, where the milk is generated and then it is collected into the system called duct. And about 80% of the time that these ductal cells, when they're going through the natural progress of being born as a new cell, doing their job, and then dying off, instead of dying off, they make a mis mistake in the DNA, and then decided, oh, it's I gain a new superpower. I'm not gonna die, but I'm gonna create my own children. Ended up making a bunch of themselves, and then become a early tumor, then invade into the surrounding tissue and then became a cancer where they now have a superpower enough that they can actually migrate and then metastasize through the blood, lymph node, and other organs. And that happens from the 80% in the duct, 10% in the lobule, 10% from the other cells such as lymphatics, muscles, different tissues within the breast. So if you do have a cancer, came from the breast, we call it breast cancer. So the breast cancers developed a superpower by multiple mechanisms. So a few years back, we had this nice study done by the Hopkins team and many others, trying to really figure out why this breast cancer actually happens. Because you know there are patients who may have actually underlying factors, such as you know Angelina Jolie had a gene that she decided to remove the both breasts, trying to prevent the risk. But that actually known risk factor is actually quite low less than 10% of the old breast cancers. In majority of the cases that we don't really know why this breast cancer happens, this is one of the most common questions I get when I meet with the patients on a day-to-day basis in the clinic. They ask, Doc, why did I get this? You know, why this is happening? And in the end, what we actually discovered through these thousands and thousands of women's study and men, we actually discovered it is a simply mistake from the DNA. So majority of this breast cancer actually happens either by natural course, one of the main reasons being you know, age, and maybe some unexplainable cause that causes the mistakes when their cells are making the DNA that accumulates and accumulates to the point that that mutation that escaped is actually giving additional steps that they're able to now escape if some additional toxicity um, comes in and trying to kill the natural growth or pattern of the cell. And that's type of superpower. So within that superpower, it can be a escaping from natural co you know, uh, course of the death, just like the, we all have to do. 
and then there is a superpower that now you can even have a cape and you can go anywhere in the body as you like as, as if you have an easy pass to pass any highway and also you have a superpower now even if you do have a treatment that is coming in uh, supposed to kill the cancer cells and yet not able to die and then mutate themselves even more to become more super powerful and then in the end uh, if that ended up happening you can even take over somebody's body so the risk factors that can cause were related to the breast cancers number one is the genetics as you mentioned that if you do have up to 25 to 50 different genes that is in majority they're related to that dna um, damage repair uh, so let's say if your cells have a natural you know reason why you need to divide into two so you can maintain your normal structure. So there has to be a new cells, old cells, dye, so on and so forth. When this DNA um, production actually happens, a lot of times the cells make a mistake. However, if you do have a, like chaperones, like so for example, if my heels broke on the way to the clinic and if I have a shoe shop on the way, I can go and easily fix it. So we do have a proteins that always in standby and trying to fix that problem when the DNA damage happens. However, if you're born with a gene that is kind of absenting, some of these genes are readily available. If you do have a mistake, okay, nobody come and like tell me that there's a mistake and I just go on. And that mistake, if it happens in the critical genes of regulations, now you're ended up having a cancer. You know, therefore, this gene can be the one of the, one of the main reason. But additionally, now we are learning more and more these chemical factors. For example, um, even now, not even the modern times, like when the British started to have this revolution of new industrial developments. For example, I learned that the green. Um, color, you know, the color green that it became really popular as a clothing and different things were actually containing a lot of chemicals that could be a cancer genetic, like a carcinogenic, including like benzenes and some of the others. So some of the workers who are inhaling all of this green, you know, particles started to have this very weird skin rash, unexplainable, um, like swelling of the body, and some of them actually ended up developing cancer. And then same thing happened in some of the you know, people who are working in the uh, industry, you know, when they're developing these microchips using the wafers, people who used to work in the chemical plants, there's a radiation exposures, uh, there's a lot of different you know, new things like you know, something that we are burning the trash or you know, like people just kind of randomly have an interaction with the plastics and the sunlight. Of course, sunlight you know, in the daily usual should not happen, can actually produce a free radicals and particles. They can actually move around in the air, you inhale, in certain dose, you can actually become a carcinogenic material. So those are the factors that we know. And then of course, there's some remote exposures, something like a DES when your mom was exposed to the diethylbestrol that you know, many, many years later, the daughters of those people who are exposed could develop breast cancer. So those are the, some of the known factors. Like I grew up in South Korea, you know, so I lived there for a while. And in Asian countries, especially in the East Asian country, where there's a lot of clash between rapidly developing industries, highly, highly populated city populations, there has been a lot of issue of the air pollutions. 
So I would say for the last 20 years or so, there was a lot of discussion around um, dioxins or the radons actually can be produced when you're actually chugging out either day-to-day -day, uh, produced plastics bottles or uh, wastes, you know, or you have a battery that is kind of exposed. And, you know, if you're exposing to um, not really following the proper steps, but trying to burn it off, you know, maybe try to save the cost and something like that, many of these, like, you know, particles um, can actually be produced and then just kind of flow in the air and spread and then increase the exposure of the one individual to this very toxic, you know, molecules to the extreme level. So I, I knew that there was a danger of this kind of burning things, you know, in the on your leisure could be very dangerous. And there was a lot of like loss there was a putting in, you know, you cannot do this with this type of chemicals and blah, blah, blah. Plastic has to be recycled in certain following rules. Then I actually came to learn about this burn pit. Actually, my understanding of the burn pit, and um, just as a note that I am not an epidemiologist or any kind of environmental medical specialist by any means, but I've learned that it, between this Iraq and Afghanistan, a lot of the US military soldiers and then their team didn't really have a good way to get rid of this, their um, waste, like day-to-day -day waste, but more importantly, the military waste. So what they ended up happening is they like put a big pit, put all of the waste, and then they just burnt it off. And many of the soldiers were exposed to this dark, you know, gray and black stuff just coming out of this burn pit. Um, and then people started to have a problem, you know, like a few years later that some of these people developed the blood pressure. Some of them had a all of a sudden some kind of rheumatism they never had in their life. Some of the pa you know, people developed pancreatic cancer. So it was very odd because these soldiers were young and then these people, young people naturally should not have this type of problem. And yet they were encountering multiple issues. So there was about 18 months of the investigation between the VA and the Natural Academy of Science. Actually, they were really, you know, in, um, investigating what are the chemical materials that actually could be produced by this type of burn pit. And they discovered more than 20 different chemicals, including benzenes, which is like a big no-no from the cancer field that you should not, never ever been exposed to this, including dioxin, benzenes, and all these chemical particles were generated from the burn pit. And nobody even knows that how high all this exposure actually were. So if you say in the cancer cell model that if you have a just daily exposure of certain particles, very, very low, if you have a slight increase of like maybe double even to you know quadruple, your cancer risk over time really goes up. But basically, like what I learned from the, some of the listening to the stories is that they actually had this kind of raining shower of black particles. So these people were inhaling this on a daily basis. So we don't even know what's the exposure level of the soldiers uh, from this chemical from the burn pit. So it, to me, it is a serious health hazard. And then even before you go into the cancer, of course, there must have been very serious respiratory illness that some of them may not be really reversible. So that is my knowledge about the burn pit. I did have some marine patients, you know, who actually came to me. Um, she was uh, drafted, I think, in Afghanistan for a little bit. And also she even was exposed to some of the camp of jejun, which is actually more of an internal United States issue. Um, I actually didn't really have a chance to talk to her in details because what ended up happening to her is 
When she came to me, she had a advanced stage three breast cancer. So I was taking care of her during the time that she really needed a very intensive treatment to get to the point that she had no evidence of disease. When that type of initial treatment was completed, that she had to go back to the VA system, you know, because she was required to go back to their own system uh, because of their health system and so on and so forth. But towards the end of our, you know, we encounter over a year and a half or so, she told me that she's not the only one. And she told me that she has a lot of friends that who may encounter similar problems. And she wanted me to make sure then someday that I could actually try to increase this awareness of this. And so it's sort of like feels like a fate that you know it, uh, this opportunity actually came to me. Breast cancer is different than other cancers because of, I would say, at least two or three different reasons. Number one, it happens in the breast where the biology of the breast is quite different than the other organs. So when you think about the part of your bodies, when you think about the lungs, when you think about the colon, when you think about the liver, the cancers actually happens inside of the organ. So the way that actually happens is they have their own, the blood circulation systems, but they have their own kind of geography where cells are very packed, surrounded by different blood vessel systems and so on and so forth. When you think about the breast, it is a somewhat inside, but not truly inside, meaning that there's a muscle, there's a organs, there's a bone, and then outside of the bone and outside of the lung and outside of your captivated muscle, there is a breast organ. And also it's 80% or more consists of fat. So they have a very unique contribution of the microgeology that how these cells are actually neighbor to each other. And then that makes some of the biology of the breast cancer very special. So for example, while the immunotherapy can cure kidney cancer, melanoma, lung cancer, and head and neck, the efficacy of the immunotherapy has not been that hot in breast cancer. And we think that that might be because of that different biology. Secondly, we think that breast cancer is different socially because of the sort of stigma or the image of the breast. So I can tell you as a breast cancer treating physicians that if you have a same aged, same woman with the same degree of aggressiveness of the cancer who has breast cancer and some other cancers, their reaction to the cancer or the cancer treatment is quite different. And it's really hard to explain that it's almost to the point that if you do have a breast cancer, you have certain stigma from the social um, aspect that I have met so many 30-something-year-old, 40-something-year-old who's going through divorce, um, husband cheating, or I even had a patient whose husband was suing her in the deathbed, like she was actually actively dying from a stage four cancers, and her husband was suing her, saying that her daughter is getting negative impact by meeting her, so she couldn't even see her daughter for the last few days of her life because of that. And so it's crazy to say, but that is a reality. And then the lastly, I think breast cancer actually is one of those cancers that it is easy to treat. Many of the patients survive. And yet, majority of the you know, cases, especially in the hormone receptor positive ones, it can actually hide in your body for decades and come back. So you got cured from your breast cancer in your 45, and then in your retired age, and then you are now have a pension and ready to go and travel, all of a sudden you're ending up having this stage four cancer. So those three things probably make breast cancer very unique, challenging maybe, but for me, that's the reason I wanted to contribute more to this specific cancers. Thankfully, many of the patients uh, 
you know, as of today, when they present to the clinic, still presenting to something we call early stage, meaning that stage one, stage two, and stage three, something we can say you're curable. So that's still 94%. People who are presenting from the get-go as a stage four, uh, something we called de novo stage four, is only about 6%. But there's a drastic difference. So that's the one of the reasons why when you have a patients who have stage 2B. So that's sort of the cutoff that we are actually recommending to have the full body staging, just to make sure your cancer has been advanced to enough to be a stage 2B. This is time for you to check and making sure that it hasn't gone to somewhere else. Because of the difference that we can notice between stage 2B and 4, a lot of patients are waiting, losing their sleep, sometimes cry, they call you every day and say, did my scan result come back? is because if you do have a stage 2B, nothing else, scans clean, your survival could be way greater than 93% in five years. Many of them are ending up cured, you know. Some of them may have a recurrence in like 10 years, but you know, like majority of them will say, after five years, you get the graduation card and you're good to go. If you do have a stage four, it's a completely different story, of course. Um, still, as of today, the survival of stage four breast cancer in five years is around, you know, 30% or so. Even if you do have the best type of stage four, which is called luminal breast cancer, you know, hormone dependent, um, their median survival is still around 4.8 to five years, meaning that in the bell curve, majority of my patients who I say, you know, you do have a stage four hormone receptor positive disease, um, five years from now, they'll be gone, you know, so that's, there's a drastic difference, so of course there. Um, there are some lucky patients that who can survive more than like 15, 20 years. My longest patient with a stage four disease actually survived up to 28 years. And she ended up not even having to take any pills, but that is a very, very rare case. And then, you know, we are trying to do our best to develop a new approach like immunotherapies and CAR-T, try to really get there. So the HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer is a cancer that is one of the most common type of breast cancer. When you think about the breast, how it's actually developed and how it's maintained, it is a hormone responsive organ. So of course, one can argue what's the purpose of breast and you know, like maybe plastic surgeons may have a different opinion, but from what I can tell, the purpose of the breast is trying to nurture and nurse the baby. So you're supposed to produce the milk and then deliver the milk to the baby and that's like the optimized for that reason. When you try to do that, you have to have a estrogen and progesterone, two major female hormones, to supply this tissue to grow and then produce the milk and so on and so forth. So that's very, very important. So when you think about that, uh, one of the reasons why the breast cancer cells actually happen because of the mistake of the DNA, they grow because of estrogen and progesterone, they're supposed to die off when they don't need, and then they go through that cycle, and then one day at a time, it makes the mistake, became a superpower cell, and then it continued to multi multiply. So by nature of that, uh, more than half of the cases of these cancer cells are depending on hormone supply. Meaning that, oh, I grew through the hormone, I need hormone. So if you take away hormone, they're ending up dying, you know? So that's why the hormone receptor positive cancers are the most common one. Within the hormone receptor positive ones, you could also have a HER2 positivity, so we call triple positive. 
estrogen receptor positive, progesterone receptor positive, and HER2 positive, so triple positive, or you may not have the HER2 co-expression, you know, called only luminal or the hormone receptor positive. So if you don't have the HER2 and just hormone receptor only, which is one of the kind of best actually type of cancer, supposedly, but when it comes to the young woman, actually same hormone receptor positive and HER2 negative that which is supposedly like not even needing the chemotherapy in a lot of cases, may actually behave much more aggressively, just like the HER2 positive cancers or triple negative breast cancers. The ovarian suppression or ovarian ablation is uh, basically trying to take the food away from the cancer. So let's say if you do have a hormone dependent breast cancer sitting in your body or you just have taken it out, but we think that some of the cells may have gotten out and trying to hide in your body. So this approach can be used in both uh, somebody who has a cancer in their body, like at the current point, whether they, it's because they wanted to shrink it first and then remove it, or have it because of stage four, or you have already taken it out, and yet we are trying to minimize the risk by removing all the stem cells. So when you're very young, you have a high production of the estrogen from your body every month and day-to-day -day life, which is supposed to be good. You, know, you are supposed to have that hormone if you're a young woman. However, let's say if there's a hiding cancer cells or fulminant cancer cell that is like ready to accept the hormone you know, by the receptor and then try to grow. The best way to take away of that food from the cancer is by suppressing the ovary. So one of the way we can do that is the biomedically. So we do monthly or every three months injections trying to actually you know, uh, reduce the production of the estrogen from the ovary. Or in some cases, we actually take a drastic measure and then we actually take it out the ovaries. And this used to be the much, like much more commonly used you know, methods by surgeons back in 1970s and so on and so forth. So a lot of young women, unfortunately, have to go through that. And you don't do that for triple negative. Not necessarily. See, sometimes uh, we actually do use the ovarian suppression for triple negative breast cancer when they're starting the chemotherapy. Let's say if you have a 32-year-old in front of you who are hoping to have another baby, actually for us to preserve that function, we put the ovaries in sleep. So when the chemotherapy is done, we can actually recycle the ovaries and making sure that they can produce, then we may actually use that approach as well. Both of the conditions, from what I can tell from my medical expertise, probably would not have anything to do with her breast cancer diagnosis. Um, so in squamous cell carcinoma is one of those very common type of skin cancer. They can just happen either because of the age or actually exposure to sun. And you know, sometimes a little bit of smoking. However, this is some of the insignificant cancer enough that in many of the clinical trials that we don't even exclude patients because you had a squamous cell carcinoma, more importantly, it has nothing to do with the actual occurrence of breast cancer from what I can tell. The breast augmentation, in a very, very, very small cases, it can actually cause some of the lymphomas in the breast, which is not the usual breast cancer that we observe. Um, so let's say if somebody had a, like, you know, the large cell lymphoma that was around the, the breast implant, maybe. Any other cases, we don't really know any association between those two. My understanding is that she was told that initially she had a hormone receptor positive, heart to negative breast cancer, and then later time, probably through the biopsy, that she then was diagnosed with a triple negative breast cancer, and then some sometime later when she had another progression, another biopsy at that time showed that potentially going back to hormone receptor positive and heart to negative breast cancer. 
So it is actually one of the common um, clinical scenario that we observe in the clinic a lot. And the main reason uh, this type of you know, very odd situation is actually happening is because of the understanding of the pattern of metastasis that happens within the breast cancer. So when you think about how these breast cancer cells disperse, it comes from the original destinations and then it goes to, you know, mo most likely to the bone, lung or liver or lymph node or whatever the destination might be. So when you think about, especially of the metastatic breast cancer, that many of this metastatic breast cancer that happens from the get-go already have formed number of mutations potentially to make the cells smart enough to be able to do that. So let's think about her original portion of her breast. Let's say even if it's only two centimeter or three centimeter small tumor, if you have an ability to biopsy multiple regions within that breast cancer, those cancer may have been slightly different. So within your own cell, some cells might have been much more dependent on the hormone and some cells were trying to already escape from the hormone and say, is, is there any other way that we can be smarter about this? And then even if they don't give me the food, I will survive. If they don't give me the Korean food, I will survive with the Chinese food. So that's what happens a lot of times within the breast cancer cell. We call it tumor heterogeneity. And then when these cells actually spread, they also take a different route. So some cells may have gotten into the bone, some cells may have jumped to the lymph node, and then they may not have come back, although we think that they're still communicating. So let's say if you give a drug X and the patient had a really clearance up to some of the spots, and yet the other areas of the body kind of like is are sluggish or even you know, starting to popping up a new spot. Of course, you're gonna go ahead and biopsy that area. That might have been clone A, they came from the left side of the tumor as compared to now your drug Y is clearing all that clone and yet that the other clone that has escaped and gone to a different side of your body now wake up again and they're trying to cause problems. So it really depends on which part of your body and the which time course you have measured, you can actually have a very different body. So I even had a patient who had a hormone receptor positive breast cancer in the bone, HER2 negative, Liver was purely HER2 dependent and hormone receptor negative, came from the exactly the same body. So when she actually donated her body for our research, she uh, ended up like leaving us and she donated her body. We were able to observe that she had a multiple clones that have very different characteristics. So this type of changes where dynamics and heterogeneity makes our treatment planning quite challenging. Any veterans who had a previous exposure to burn pit, um, I believe the last type of act that was you know, introduced by the VA and the government was around like 2008 to 2010. So that means it's been 10 to 50, you know, 11 years since the last time that they recognized the importance of this, trying to alert the people, stop using this and you know, don't do it. Knowing that, I really don't think that the, the risk factor that contributes to your body to create new cancer doesn't necessarily stop. So we can see this from the previous chemical exposures. You know, for example, like the daughters who are exposed to that little bit of you know, DES when they're in the womb of your mother's you know, body, 50 years later, you could still develop cancer. So I say, if you know that you have been exposed to the burn pit and then you know that you have a risk of blood pressure, lung disease, autoimmune disease, multiple cancers, making sure that you seek out to the group and see what type of you know, screening measures are actually being done. And of course, 
the mammogram is a must. You know, it's one of the most important and then actually pretty effective measure of detecting cancer. So even if you're young, let's say if you're only 35 years old and you finish your service 25 years old, you still need to go and get checked and making sure that you check your breast with the expert, making sure you don't have that cancer brewing in your body. So the bone metastasis in breast is a one of the important study that has to be done in the metastasis. The reason is because when you actually look at the older sites that breast cancer can actually touch, even though we hear so much about the brain metastasis, which is very scary, we lose patients to this breast cancer going into the brain all the time, in relative numbers, it's only 3% uh, as a first destination. As compared to any breast cancer going to the bone, about 31%. Meaning that, let's say if you do have a stage four breast cancer, one out of three, will have a bone metastasis. And we think that the reason is, I mean, of course, there's a lot of ongoing research that's happening, but one of the important findings that we have is there might be some epigenetic, meaning that instead of having the only playing with the gene, but even the commander of the gene regulation, like epigenetic or epigenomic regulators, tell the cells, oh, okay, we are now superpower, we are like the heroes. I actually want to send some Avengers to the most important site, bone. You go to the bone, see what's going on, and then send your soldiers troop to somewhere else. So we actually think that there might be some research showing that bone is becoming a command center. The initial small clone of your breast cancer escaped, go to the bone, make a new nest, and then trying to watch the situation. If they think that they're powerful enough and there's enough of, you know, things to go around, they start to disperse the cells into different organs. So it's one of the very important research. I think it's actually slightly under uh, understood area still, meaning that even though we do have a two drugs that treating the bone cancers from the breast, it is not specialized compared to any other cancers. We still use the same drugs for prostate cancer, lung cancer that goes to the bone, but this does not address the same you know, important question as to how does that happen? Why does it happen? How we can stop? how we can actually prevent. So actually one of the, my main research right now that I'm doing with my scientist friends is to understand the bone metastatic progression and then trying to see how we can actually stop that. One of the conventional way that people always use and probably is helpful is continue the case studies. You know, so I know that there has been some efforts between VA and then NAS and trying to understand what are the exposures, what are the numbers, like what's the cases that we have discovered. But knowing that that study really requires over time, you know, quite a long period of time of follow-up that has to be continued to be funded. So that's funding from DOD and VA, I think is going to be one of the fundamental. From the biologist perspective, if we can recreate a model where we can say, these are the chemicals we found in the burn pit exposures, these are the cells, we can actually induce the same changes that happen in the patient's body in their type of cancer, their mutations, their epigenomic mutations, by these chemicals in the lab setting, I think that is also very strong evidence that we can show, see, this can do this exactly what happens to our patients. So I think that type of research really needs more attention. And then DOD spends a lot of money in the, the breast cancer research and I really appreciate it. This might be one of those areas that we may need to have a special attention to. So I think there has to be some systematic justification that can be done, you know, and then I think smart people probably need to pay attention to this research is one of the ways that we can overcome.